Imagine for a moment that you show up in your leadership role today and that you have the opportunity to rescue someone from a bad decision they're about to make. Let's say for the purpose of argument that the decision will be inconvenient to you or your organization, that the decision will waste time and potentially even cost money, but that it wouldn't be disastrous. Do you step in and rescue that person from making that poor decision? Today's guest will not answer that question for us. However, today's guest will challenge all of us to ask that question in a different way and think through frameworks to help us make a better decision. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 92. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity. When I first became a leader and a manager, I made some poor choices, as many of us do when we get into leadership management roles for the first time. And one of the areas I struggled with extensively was not, it was having difficulty when decisions weren't black and white decisions. I always wanted to be able to check the box. Yes, no, black, white. And I found that I would struggle in situations where uh, I sometimes needed to make that call in that gray zone as a leader or as a manager. And I didn't really know how to handle that. And I've found over the years that uh, not only do I still struggle with that on occasion, but that a lot of others, leaders, struggle with that as well. And today's guest is someone who has done a tremendous amount of thinking on something that he calls practical wisdom and how we can utilize practical wisdom as leaders, but also as parents, as family members, as friends in our lives in order to get better results and to make better decisions. You may have read his work as doing editorials in the New York Times. You may have seen TED Talks by him. You may have read his books. But if you haven't heard Barry Schwartz talk on practical wisdom, you should. And the first time I heard about him online and watched one of his TED Talks, I knew that he was someone I wanted to talk with and learn more about his thinking on practical wisdom and how we could take his wisdom and apply it to situations that we face as leaders every single day. So here's my interview with Barry Schwartz. I'm really pleased to welcome as my guest this week, Barry Schwartz. Barry is the Dorwin Cartwright Professor of Social Theory and Social Action at Swarthmore College, and he is also the author of the book Practical Wisdom, The Right Way to Do the Right Thing, and I came across Barry originally on uh, the uh, from his TED Talk. He actually has a couple of TED Talks online, and the one that caught my attention was the one called Our Loss of Wisdom. Someone had sent it to me a, a while back and really uh, captured my attention. And so, Barry, I'm so pleased to welcome you on the show. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Dave. You know, I really enjoyed your TED Talk, and as I listened to it, I was thinking, this is something that every leader should listen to and internalize because I think that 
your thoughts on practical wisdom are things that a lot get us get a lot of us in trouble when we take on leadership roles. I couldn't agree more. In fact, <clears throat> one reason why I was so excited about being able to talk about it at TED is that it struck me that this is an audience full of people who actually manage many, 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 many people themselves. And if they took what I had to say to heart, it could have it could have effects that reverberated uh, in a dramatic way. Yeah, it is one of the you know one of the privileges that uh, both of us have of having a, an audience that follows us is having the ability to influence others. And so um, I. I'm really excited to talk with you about your thinking and some of the research you've done around practical wisdom. And before getting too far along, uh, you know, Plato said the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. And so your most recent book is titled Practical Wisdom. I'm wondering how you define practical wisdom in your work. Yes. And, you know, so Plato said that. And the truth is that we never really in the book, which, by the way, I wrote with my friend and colleague, Kenneth Sharp. We never really quite define uh, what practical wisdom is. We try to define it by example, but what Aristotle th- said it was um, is knowing the right way to do the right thing at the right time. Mm. And the, the key point here is, is the word practical, because Plato was interested in sort of abstract wisdom, the sort of thing we imagine that people with long white beards sitting on top of mountains have to dispense. Uh, and um, so sort of general abstract principles about how the world works. And Aristotle was interested very much in the here and now and the concrete. He watched tradespeople, uh, craftspeople solving their practical problems and um, um, generalized from that to how human beings solve their practical problems with one another. So the critical thing was um, for, for Aristotle was what he called the priority of the particular which is to say that every situation and every person is unique. And if you have a template that you simply impose on uh, whatever situation you find, it will, uh, it will get you decent results much of the time, but it will almost never get you great results. Oh, interesting. You, you know, uh, that, that resonates with me a lot because I've been, especially earlier in my career, the master of creating templates for every situation. And and you're absolutely right. There's times that that works, you know, most a lot of times it works good, but that got me in a lot of trouble early in my career. And I learned pretty quickly that that's not always the best way to make wise decisions. Um, I think that's right. But I think the reason that people rely on templates is that it's a way of, of keeping them out of trouble in the sense that if you use your judgment and you deviate from a template and things go wrong, whose fault is it? Mm. It's yours. Whereas if you follow the template and things go wrong, whose fault is it? Well, it's whoever invented the template. Yeah. So it's a, it's a way of uh, sort of abdicating responsibility si- simply to, to go by the script or go by the rules. You've highlighted the phenomenon that when things aren't going right, the first reaction of a lot of leaders and organizations is to make more rules, make more templates. And you make the argument that that, always, that isn't always the best answer. Um, why is it that that can be problematic to create more rules or more structures or policies. Okay, so let me back up just a step and then I'll explain it. Um, what Ken and I did was we um, we took this concept of practical wisdom and divided it into two components. Uh, one component is the will to do the right thing, that is actually wanting to do right by your patients, your clients, your customers, your students, whatever, your friends. 
And the second component was the skill to figure out what the right thing is. So the problem with relying on rules or templates is that they are substitutes for skill. That is, instead of using judgment, um, you apply the template. So in my own life, uh, uh, you know, I teach lots of students. They're all bright. They're not all equally bright. They're all motivated. They're not all equally motivated. Mm -hmm. Some of them need a kick in the pants. Some of them need a, a, a nothing but encouragement. If I had a formula for uh, how I interacted with my undergraduates, um, the formula would be right, I guess, for the average student, but most students are not the average student, so it would end up being wrong for almost every student I actually had contact with. Mm. Um, and the trouble is that to, to exercise judgment, you need to have judgment. And the way you get judgment is by trying things and failing and learning from your mistakes so that if you're slavishly committed to a template, you're no wiser after doing it for 20 years than you were the day you started. Mm, got it. And that's why I think re resorting to templates gets us in trouble. But on the other hand, when the financial system collapsed, you could see why people thought you need to regulate the bankers. Because, in fact, by deregulating the financial industry, we made, it po we made this incredible collapse possible. It couldn't have happened without deregulation. So the first impulse is to re-regulate. The mistake is to think that by doing that, you will have solved the problem. I, I mentioned uh, a moment ago when I started my career, I really looked at everything very much in the black and white. And I know I was shocked when it seemed like following all the company policies and procedures, which I always tried to do, didn't always result in the best outcomes. And you've said a wise person knows when and how to make the exception to every rule. What no, 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 I, and that's right. That's just one respect in which uh, in which you use your judgment instead of following. Sure, sure. The template. Um, there are good rules, but there, but there are times when you have to um, ignore or deviate from the rules. So, to take a concrete example, I think it's a good rule for doctors to follow to be honest with their patients. Tell your patients the truth. The paternalistic days of the past are over. Tell your patients the truth. Fine. But we all know that there are some patients where telling them the truth will be a disaster because the, the, the truth is bad. You've got bad news to deliver. And they, they, when they hear this news, they may simply disintegrate. And what could be a life, uh, a, a sort of a decent life if you have a terminal disease for two, three, four years until you finally succumb to the disease, basically becomes the the the, uh, the news becomes your death sentence, and you'd simply collapse into uh, I don't know panic, sadness, and what have you. So sometimes, with some patients, finding a way to shade the truth to enable them to get through uh, a very hard time and make the best of a terrible situation is the right thing to do. Uh, and you need to be attuned to the needs and the temperaments of individual patients to know when. Which patient is the one where you, where you deviate from, uh, from the rule, where you improvise around the rule? So that's one example of the kind of thing I think we need. Now, notice this only works if you know your patients. And as we all know, nowadays, people don't know, doctors don't know their patients very well because, uh, you know, they, they have eight-minute eight office visits. They practice as part of large groups, never see the same doctor twice. So nobody knows anybody. 
And when you're in that situation of, of following a rule like tell the truth is probably the best you can do. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of this interesting paradox, because I know one of the questions that people would ask is, as they're thinking about how to navigate this, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, most people argue, and, and you certainly do as well, that we need appropriate rules and policies and organizations. And on the other hand, for all the reasons you've discussed, you know, if we excessively rely on that that rule or that template or that script, that's problematic too. So what advice do you have for us as we're trying to navigate that? And how do we what kind of things should we be considering in order to figure out the difference between those? Right. So here's where that second component of wisdom comes in critically, the the will to do the right thing. If your if your aims are not actually to serve whoever it is, clients, patients, students, then you can easily deviate from rules, not because you think it's going to make the person you're dealing with better off, but because you think it's going to make you better off. Mm -hmm. And under conditions like that, I'd want as many rules as possible, right? If, you, if people, the people you're dealing with don't have your interests at heart, you really want to hamstring them and constrain them. If they do have your interests at heart, I guess the answer is you look for signs in individual people you're dealing with that this is a different situation from the one that's described by the rule. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantee you're going to get it right. Sometimes you'll treat someone as an exception who shouldn't be treated as an exception. You have to be prepared when you use your judgment to make mistakes, to get things wrong. But what you're aspiring to is excellence in the way you treat patients, students, and clients instead of mediocrity. Following rules gets you mediocrity. Trying to use your judgment at least affords the chance that you can do better than mediocre. And you've, but there's no formula. I wish I could tell you this is a clear-cut sign to abandon the rule. There are no clear-cut signs. It's always ambiguous, um, and you, you get better and better at it, I assume, with more and more experience working with people. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I, you know, as a lesson for me listening to you speak and hearing your TED Talk is that, you know, it's not always just about the black and the white, so knowing that there are times that maybe it makes sense to think about something that's, forgive the cliche, out of the box or something different than we might normally do. And I love to use the analogy of, jazz music uh, as, a, as a template for how sometimes people make decisions of, yes, yes, the music's on the page. At the same time, the greatest musicians know how to improvise and change things up and make decisions in the moment when they need to. That's exact. We use that exact analogy uh, in the book. I don't remember if I mentioned it in the TED Talk, but, you know, yes, there are notes on the page, but what makes jazz jazz is not the notes on the page. It's the improvisation around those notes. And I guess what wisdom is, is a kind of moral improvisation. Mm. Rules are like the notes on the page. And without them, you'd have nothing but chaos. But rules are not the end of the story. They're the beginning of the story. Another kind of metaphor that I sometimes use is that rules are like a roadmap that gets you to the right city, but doesn't have any street smart. Now, you'll never find the particular street you're looking for unless you get to the right city. So... A roadmap that gets you to the right city is helpful, but it's not the end of the story. Yeah, You get to the right city, the rules get you in the right ballpark. Now you have to use your judgment to figure out exactly what this situation calls for. I know you make the case that wise leaders are made, not born. Uh, so what can each of us do, not only to increase our own practical wisdom, but also the wisdom of those that we're leading and we're influencing? 
I think that's a great question, and it's a challenging one because people who manage other people are reluctant to do what needs to be done, which is to let go and let people use their initiative and autonomy and learn from their own mistakes and as a result get wiser and wiser in doing their jobs. You, you know, you're kind of looking over their shoulders, you're trying to prevent complete catastrophes, but you have to let people use their judgment and develop better judgment uh, through a process of trial and error. And I think that's extremely threatening to managers because they, they can't bear the thought of a mistake. Uh, in addition to which, if they succeed, then their job becomes less and less important because they're basically creating people who don't need to be managed. Uh, nobody wants to uh, work their way out of a job. Yeah, yeah. I, this is a huge, I think you've hit on a huge fear for a lot of leaders is that, you know, contrary to kind of what we what we should be doing as leaders, a lot of times we are kind of trying to keep all that wisdom in our, we feel like we need to know it all and we need to, yep. people need to do it our way and follow our process. And uh, I, I'm, I'm still amazed not only how much time I catch myself doing that, but catch others people doing that of just getting out of the, hey, you know, it's, it's not just about how I'm supposed to do it. It's about empowering people to some, make their own decisions, make their own mistakes too. We, we, we all are susceptible to this. Uh, and it's not just in, in our professional lives. Um, it's very hard to convince parents that it's important for them to let their kids make mistakes. That, that the job of a parent basically is to be, be a life preserver or a safety net so that the mistakes aren't catastrophic. But, um, you know, you, ideally you want to raise your children so that they stop needing you. Yeah. But the consequence of that goal is that there will be bumps and bruises along the way. There's a wonderful book written by a, a therapist named Wendy Mogul called The Blessings of a Skinned Knee. Hmm. And it's all about how parents need to let their kids get hurt and just make sure that when they get hurt, they don't get hurt very badly. Um, and the book is, is meant for sort of upper class, you know, highly educated parents whose mission in life seems to be to make sure their kids never have a bad day. And that, and that raises um, uh, essentially helpless and non-resilient adults. So you see it when you're trying to be a parent. You see it when you're trying to be a romantic partner. You see it when you're trying to manage a workforce. Uh, the temptation to over-control is overwhelmingly strong, and it has to be resisted. And Barry, my wife, Bonnie, is an undergraduate professor, and so she sees this a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, too, of just these... Um, you know, so much of this comes back to a lot of the parenting and, you know, so many parents these days have, uh, you know, really shielded kids from making a lot of those mistakes. And then they show up in university and then their late teens, early twenties, and very not sure how to handle the world in a lot of situations. And, uh, and it, it's interesting how much as leaders now we're starting to, to see a lot of that in our organizations too. I think that's absolutely true. I've, you know, I have noticed in the last decade that the students I teach are much less resilient and much less independent than they used to be. And Swarthmore, where I teach, gets the best students in the country. So they're highly motivated. They're very smart. But they just don't know what to do when things go wrong because nothing has ever gone wrong. Or at least fewer things have gone wrong than used to be the case when parents had a slightly more hands-off approach to child rearing. 
So uh, Bonnie and I have a 16-month-old right now, so I'm going to have you come over and remind me of this <laughs> next time. <laughs> well, you know, I think at 16 months, you want to you, you wanna, uh, be very protective. As we the are. The trouble is when, when people treat their 16-year-olds the same way they treat their 16-month-olds. Yeah, because at some point, you need to make that transition, and it is a gradual transition. I think that the same yeah. thing is so true for leaders, too, is that, you know, there's that kind of that parental or, you know, that kind of leadership role a lot of us take when someone shows up in our organization the first day. And, you know, we should very appropriately walk them through some things and teach them about the organization. But a lot of leaders never make that transition to then backing off and allowing people to make their own mistakes and allowing them to grow wisdom, like, you, like you've like you said, and, and, you know, let them be autonomous. And, uh, and that's, I think it's a big mistake a lot of us make. Yeah, but look, it's very hard to manage yourself out of a job, which is, in effect, what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. You know, I mean, as a, as a university professor, your aim is to teach kids how to teach themselves so that school doesn't end after four years. They remain students for the rest of their lives. But that, of course, if you're good at that, then you become unnecessary because you've done such a good job teaching them how to teach themselves that they don't need you anymore. And nobody likes the thought that that's what they're doing is they're making themselves uh, unnecessary. Yeah. But I think that's what good leaders need to do. They are, there's a great quote from, uh, I think it's Lao Tzu, something to the effect, I'm not going to get it right, but uh, you know, the best leader when his or her work is done, their aim fulfilled says that they're, the people who they lead will say, we did it ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, and yet that's that's counterintuitive to what a lot of the things we see in our culture and our organizations. Absolutely so. So, uh, I, you know, you are someone that brings a lot of wisdom into your work. Uh, you know, you've been had a very successful career. I'm wondering, what's a time in your life, Barry, that someone was an example of wisdom for you? And what did they do? Well, you know, you gave me a heads up on that question. Um, and and uh, And I can't really answer it. Because the, the truth is that the, this whole framework for understanding how to lead people, how to teach people, didn't become, I didn't become self-conscious of, about it until just a few years ago. I had various mentors along the way who, um, who differed from one another in this regard. Some of them were quite controlling. I loved them at the time. They were, you know, they were motivating and exciting, but also controlling. Uh, and then there were others who were much more laissez-faire. Uh, in retrospect, I would say I learned more from the laissez-faire mentors than I did from the controlling ones because without these laissez-faire people in my own development, I would never have uh, been able to do my own work independently. Hmm. So I think, it, I think uh, but I wouldn't have said that to you at the time. Um, it's only in the last five years that this has really become salient to me, and it's caused me to rethink the way I teach myself uh, and to examine whether I'm too controlling or um, too worried that, uh, that uh, kids will make mistakes or anything like that. Uh, and I've actually modified the way I teach as a result of uh, having thought about these issues. Oh, interesting. Uh, How so? Well, I just give... Um, I'm, I'm much more attentive to the needs of individual students, and I try to give them enough rope, not to hang themselves, but to, yeah. to you know, to sort of um, uh, 
become independent uh, thinkers and independent scholars. I just assumed that if you told people what you knew, uh, they would simply, by simple process of maturation, they'd become more and more independent. But, uh, but that, I think, was a mistake. I co-taught a class on wisdom with my co-author, Ken Sharp, and he's masterful at leading group discussions um, uh, where, you know, when, when a bunch of students are talking, they go off the topic, they uh, sometimes say the wrong thing, and my Im impulse is always to jump right in and correct every mistake. And it very quickly becomes a whole bunch of people, each of them talking to me, instead of talking to one another. Mm. He's patient. He lets them make mistakes. He lets them digress. Uh, they, in fact, talk to one another. They're much more engaged as a result. And at some point, he kind of reels the conversation back in and reminds people of why we're actually talking about what we're talking about. So I learned a lot from watching him about how to be a wise manager of uh, student interactions in a classroom. Um, so so um, uh, I would say that I, uh, uh, the, the things I've been thinking about in recent years have just caused me to revise my assessments of people who've been important in my own uh, intellectual development. Well, any sign, uh, a sign of a good leader for sure is someone who's aware of their strengths, but also aware of uh, <laughs> what they don't do effectively well, and then makes decisions in order to uh, to balance those things out. So a great example of that. Uh, hey, for, for folks who want to follow your work, um, in addition to grabbing your book, uh, other ways that people can follow you or connect with you or uh, find out more about what you're up to? Well, I've just started blogging on uh, LinkedIn. Oh, great. They've got a, they've got a thing. For, I don't remember what they're called. Influ influencers. Oh, I that's awesome. An, I am now an influencer on LinkedIn. And so oh. I've been hosting something every uh, week or so. Congratulations. That's actually uh, a really prestigious thing. And uh, I've seen a few f folks in, uh, in the, the world uh, who've gotten recognized by LinkedIn with that. So that's awesome. I'm definitely going to It is awesome. But Jack Welch does have a few more people following him than I have following me. <laughs> well, uh, same here. <laughs> uh, um, you know, but other than that, if, uh, if they go to the Swarthmore College website, they can find my website. And when I think of it, I post uh, recent written work there. Great. And I'm going to go ahead and put links to all of those things in the show notes, uh, the LinkedIn connection for Barry, the TED Talks, uh, his book, of course. And that way, uh, folks can connect with you uh, in whatever way works best for them. Uh, Barry, I really appreciate your time and, and your practical wisdom in coming on the show. Thank you. Barry Schwartz is the author of Practical Wisdom, The Right Way to Do the Right Thing. Barry, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, Dave. Great talking to you. So curiously, he didn't have a seven-step process for how to get yourself away from only following seven-step processes. Hmm. As I was listening to him talk, I was thinking back to some of the early leadership roles that I had in my career and even some of the situations I'm in now and how I would always default to following the policies and procedures and what the rules said. And I always saw the rules as the end, the final decision point. And now I've grown to realize, at least in some way, that the rules are uh, a lot of times what Barry talked about. They're the, uh, the, the rules or policies, procedures get us in the ballpark. And sometimes we need to then 
uh, add in our experience and our wisdom and make a judgment call that isn't always the same in every situation because there are nuances and there are differences. And that's where the wisdom and the experience comes in and, and the uncertainty. You know, really, leadership is it's one of the hardest things of leading well is I kind of have, I shouldn't say I kind of, I have this belief that if, if we're always 100% confident in every decision we make as a leader, that either we've really outgrown our position or we're just not really, um, we're not really pushing ourselves. We're just playing it safe. And you can be good doing that, but that you never really get to that level of greatness, of being willing to make a mistake, of being willing to learn and to gain wisdom. And then, like he said, of being able to turn around and to empower others to do that by sometimes stepping back. And that gets back to that question I posed earlier. Would you step in and rescue that person you're leading from making that mistake? And sometimes you should, and sometimes you shouldn't. And then there's times you'll just have to make that judgment call. And I hope today that this conversation didn't necessarily give you the answer to that question, but that will have you think about that question in a different way the next time it comes up, maybe later today. And if it did that, then I think this was a good use of our time today. And I hope that you will also jump in and join the conversation online as well. If you'd like to uh, get more information about Barry and some of the resources we mentioned in the show, and he mentioned a, uh, a book reference to The Blessings of a Skin Knee, I'm going to put all those references on the show notes. Uh, his books, his TED Talks, uh, the TED Talk in particular he did in 2009, I think is just kind of must listening for any leader as far as what are some of the things that you should be thinking about when you're making difficult decisions. And so go to coachingforleaders.com slash 92. That'll take you there. You can always also call in audio feedback to me, coaching, uh, not coaching, it's at uh, the phone number 949-38-LEARN. So that's the best way to uh, reach me by phone. And of course, you can email me too, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Dot com. So be sure to connect with me there as well if you'd like. Hey, I wanted to mention I'm doing something new starting, uh, actually started last week. Uh, I'm getting a lot more questions over email and uh, and from the weekly articles, and I so appreciate getting questions. I love hearing from uh, our listening community. So thank you so much for reaching out. It's great to talk to many of you online in the recent past. And so I've started up a new series now of weekly quick coach videos, and they're just like two or three minutes online. And uh, to answer some questions that I've been getting online and things that people just ask me and in my roles and in, in teaching and my work with Dale Carnegie and my work in uh, hosting this show. And so if that's uh, something that you'd either be interested in listening to or maybe you have a question of your own, uh, check that out. There's a couple of really good ways to get there. One is to go to the website, coachingforleaders.com, and you'll see them go in the main feed there, but you can also click on the button that says watch at the very top of the page. That'll get you there. And then uh, also you can follow me on social media and I'll be posting them there as well. I'm going to probably post those toward the later end of the week, Thursday, Friday. So as you uh, see those, feel free to check them out. And if they're helpful to you, great. And uh, if you are looking for a question to be answered to, you can email to me anytime. Feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, speaking of social media, I want to say thank you to a whole bunch of people that followed me this week. And uh, as always, apologies if I don't get your name perfect and let me know if that's the case. Uh, Philippa Wiltus, 
Abdul Ralf, Randy Alvarez, Pika Peltonian, Maruela Diaz, Mark Sievercrop, Julie Starnes, Greg Payne, Kelly Anderson, Ben Canoe, Khalil Kuradrat, Ignoe Chenieri Linda, and Akulye Evelina Hilma Nemery. Oh, no, let me get the last name right. Nemueno. Nemueno. Uh, thanks so much for following me this week on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, and any other social networks. Hey, if you'd like to stay connected as well, just go to coachingforleaders.com. You'll find all the social media icons at the top of the page there. Just feel free to connect at whatever one works best for you. I'd love to stay in touch with you that way. And also a very special thank you to the person who's got the uh, screen name Flamehu for your really nice review on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. That is uh, such a great way to help other people to find the show and for other people to build their leadership skills. It helps great with the traction of the show. So thank you very much for doing that. And if this show has been helpful to you and you use iTunes and you've been listening for a while and you'd like to leave a review, go to coachingforleaders.com iTunes. And hey, if you'd like to hear from me midweek with another tool resource, booster shot that'd be helpful to you to improve your communications, human relations, or personal productivity. I send out the email article every week. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That'll get you onto that weekly article. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week. I look forward to continuing to talk with you in the coming weeks. We've got lots of great guests coming up. And uh, in the meantime, Have fun leading.